people looked at troubles and they said to themselves, well, I guess it's my turn. Troubles happen to us all. Uh, Today, uh, we tend to get a little more anxious or even angry about our troubles. And we seem to think that there's something or someone that we ought to blame for them. So, if we're a political conservative, we might blame the media or some government official. Or if one is a minority, we could blame racism or the patriarchy if one is a feminist or the wealthy if one sees economic inequality as evil. Even though any one of these might be true in some instance, the vast majority of our troubles have nothing to do with these. Rather, our troubles are the result of the fact that we live in a world that has been cursed by sin. And trouble is in fact our default position. (laughs) Got trouble, my friends, right here in River City. Um, Troubles come to us all, and they are only infrequently the result of conspiracy. We want to find a reason, but often it just happens. Now, there's two kinds of trouble the Bible's describing in the text that we're going to look at this morning. The first kind is a crisis. Something happens and it's just, boom, crazy crisis. The other kind of trouble that the Bible's going to describe is chronic. A problem happens and it doesn't go away. It just lingers and stays and hangs there with you. And it's like uh, the barbs of a thorn bush. It just doesn't let go. So I invite you, if you have a Bible or a phone, to look up Mark chapter 5. You don't have to do it if you don't have a Bible. Don't worry, I'll be reading our way through this. But what we're going to find out is whatever our troubles are, Jesus loves people who have trouble. He loves people that are in emergencies, a crisis, And he loves people who have troubles that just keep going on and on. He loves people in those troubles. Mark chapter 5, I'll pick it up at verse 21. It says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
Here we're introduced to a man of position. He's a ruler of a synagogue. Now, that doesn't have anything to do with the temple. There were synagogues all over the world. There still are synagogues all over the world. He's not a priest. He's a guy who's in charge of administration at the temple, or at the, at the synagogue, I'm sorry, not the temple. <laughs> he, he, he's involved in things like building maintenance and supervising worship schedules and who's going to read the Bible that day and all of that. Jesus had been in his synagogue many times, if, as I believe, this is the synagogue at Capernaum. But you know, the, uh, uh, being in a position of some significance doesn't keep you from having a crisis, does it? Um, there are lots of people who have crises that are people of high position. I don't know if you heard, but the Queen of England died. It's like non-stop news, right? The Queen of England is not immune to death, right? Um, everybody with position still faces crisis. Sometimes we think, if I were only wealthier or if I had more respect, or if people could get out of my way, or if this person could only get their act together, all of my troubles would be over. No. You are not immune from your troubles and nothing you imagine. If we ever got whatever thing that we think of is causing all the troubles in this world gone, you'd still have trouble. <laughs> Jairus bows before Jesus and he says, verse 23, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Now here's a real crisis. Got a little girl. She's sick. He can't help it. He can't make her well. Jairus knows that Jesus can help him. He likely had witnessed Jesus casting out demons and the healing of the sick described in Mark chapter 1, the healing of the paralytic. Remember with the roof being opened up and being lowered down in chapter 2, the man with the withered hand in chapter 3, all but the one of the paralytic happened in or around his synagogue. So he, he asks Jesus... Come lay your hands on her that she may be well and live. Verse 24, and he, Jesus, went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Jairus, in his request, is like praying to Jesus, and Jesus answers. He, he, he goes with him. Can you imagine how Hopeful Jairus must be at this moment. My daughter is dying and Jesus, who has done all of these miracles, is coming with me. He's got to know 
Something good's about to happen. Think how the crowd anticipates a great event. They're following along. There's this big old crowd coming along, and, and Jairus might be even a little bit bothered by the crowd because they're slowing the procession to his house, right? Have you ever been in a hurry and you end up in a traffic jam? <laughs> That's how Jairus is, come on, turn the light green, you know? Do you ever wish you had one of those buttons that turned all the lights green on your path, you know? <laughs> That's how Jairus feels. Here's some things to think about. There are a lot of things in our life where every day is the same and things are going along pretty well and the issues of life are not very big. But know this, you will face crises. It's going to happen to you. Are you ready for that? So, in fact... Though, if you've talked to any person who is a believer in Jesus for very long, when you ask them, what are these moments of real spiritual growth in your life? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say something about a crisis that they face, some big event, some big moment that caused them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. So you can even talk about the grace of a crisis. Crises can teach us patience and self-denial. They can cause us to pray more boldly and more consistently. They can draw us to love Jesus more. They can help us overcome pride in our position or our success. They can prepare us for the work that God wants us to do. They can help us witness to Christ's glory to the world. So, here we see just how much Jesus loves people who are in crisis. If you're in crisis today, just take this one thought away from you from this picnic. Jesus loves me. He loves me. In this crisis, He loves me. Now, we're expecting at this moment to Jesus, Jesus to fix it, right? Boom, fix it. But instead, our story takes a different turn. Look at verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. You know... For some folks, life is a constant disruption. Every day is one of difficulty. Here's a woman with no position and no status. Unlike Jairus, the synagogue ruler, she's got no position, no status. Her problem is everything. Anyone who touches her is unclean. Anyone she touches is unclean. Uh, some people in that day thought that women who had such problems had them because of STDs. And so there was that stigma that was attached to that. And the duration of her affliction was such that she had lost hope of ever getting better. Notice how Mark describes it. 
she had suffered much under many physicians. So the physicians had these weird concoctions that they would have. I, I could list them for you, but it's just, it's just weird, okay? Weird stuff that she had to drink and try and do, and none of them made her better. In fact, she'd spent all her money on all the doctors, and they hadn't made her better. In fact, according to Mark, they had made her worse. This kind of despair prompts a desperate faith. We'd, we'd almost call it a, a magical faith here, wouldn't we? She trusts in Christ's power, so despite the jam of the crowd, she comes behind him, and he's got these prayer strings. Have you ever seen Orthodox Jews that have those? She, he's got them. He's a good Jewish teacher, rabbi. And, and she thinks, if I just touch these things, he'll be well, I'll be well. It's, a, it's kind of a misplaced faith in some ways, isn't it? Kind of a magical thing. But she's desperate. Is there something magically powerful about Jesus' clothes? In spite of that, in spite of her kind of odd faith, Mark records the following in verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately. She's like, boom. I'm well. My 12-year problem is over. Verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, while Jesus is gracious enough to be kind to people with, and aren't you glad for this? Jesus is kind enough to show love to people with theological inaccuracies. <laughs> aren't you glad for that? This woman doesn't have her theology too straight, but Jesus loves her. He's like, he's going to pursue her. It's beautiful. He loves this woman with the chronic disease. Jesus wants us to trust him, not just his power to fix our problem. He's not content with that. And so he kept looking. He kept looking. He's saying, who touched me? I, have, I actually believe that Jesus knew, but he's asking the question in order to get the woman to step up, right? And, and she has to be thinking, how could he not know? He's got to know. The woman's humility 
is the beginning to this right kind of faith. Rather than anonymous, impersonal blessing, she's going to stand up boldly, just like people in a few moments that are going to be baptized. Standing up boldly to say, I belong to Jesus. I'm not ashamed of Him. God wants us front and center in His presence. She falls down before Him in fear and trembling and told Him, it says, the whole truth. She didn't hold back. So here's the question, what was part of that whole truth? I don't know. But she didn't care what people knew or didn't know about her anymore because Jesus had rescued her. And there's a freedom in that, isn't there? Jesus gives relationship to her. He calls her in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. He gives healing, she's well. He gives wholeness, go in peace, go in shalom. And he gives freedom, there's no more disease. Jesus loves the person with the chronic problem. Here's some things to think about. Are, are you in a place in your Christian journey where your reputation doesn't matter so long as you have Jesus? Those are the people that are going to make the greatest impact for the kingdom of God. If there's things where our reputation matters more to us than Jesus, well, we just really don't want that person to know that we're a believer because it could cost us something then our faith is weak, it's anonymous, it's distant, it's shallow. I want you to know, friends, Jesus loves you so much that He won't leave you there. He will, if He's gracious to you, come and, and press in on you. <laughs> He'll look around looking for you because He wants you in a complete and total relationship with Him. Um, another thing to take away from this is it doesn't matter how much faith you have. Um, it does matter in whom your faith is placed. The woman's faith was in Jesus, and that meant that it was in the right place. Don't, don't just say, I have faith or my faith will get me through, the object of our faith is Jesus. To say, I'm trusting Jesus. I believe in Jesus. My faith in Jesus will get me through. And then another thing to think about here is that Jesus is not a Santa Claus figure. Even though he does bless wrongly directed faith in him, we should not trust him for magic. What we should do is trust him for all eternity. Now, <clears throat> while all this is happening, how do you think Jairus is feeling? While, while his daughter is dying and Jesus has already said he's going to come with him and now Jesus stops and has this long interview and he keeps looking intently, well, who was it that touched me? Jairus says, it doesn't matter. Let's go, right? 
And instead, there's this long conversation, and then finally they're done and they're on their way. Verse 35, while he was still speaking to this woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? Well, aren't they kind? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion and people weeping and wailing loudly. Jairus has grown increasingly alarmed. Jesus is still speaking to the woman. The people come and give the sad news to Jairus. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the rabbi? Can you imagine Jairus' despair? Jesus overhears these guys and says, don't fear, only believe. The beginning of faith is not the end of fear, but Jesus calls this man to stop his fearing and only believe. It doesn't mean believe that good stuff is going to happen. It means believe in me. Faith isn't having positive mental feelings. Sometimes we'll have faith, you know, positive mental feelings, you know. I don't know. It's not a belief in magic. It's not a denial of the facts. It's not even a hope that somehow things will turn out well. Faith is trusting in, relying on the person of Jesus Christ at all points of life, good and bad. It means not caving into fear and steadfastly relying upon Jesus. So, Jesus allows no one to follow him except Peter and James and John. Uh, That means he's cutting out the circus, allowing only three to follow him. While there's no circus in the entourage making their way to Jairus' house, there is a circus at the house, however, because as Jairus and Peter and James and John and Jesus walk up to the house, there's a whole bunch of people weeping and wailing loudly. Um, (laughs) There's a whole system of first century Jewish practice about death. One was you came and expressed your grief loudly. The louder it was, it meant the more important the person was to you. Secondly, you actually had professional wailers who developed the art of howling and shrieking. And so you've got these professionals there. And then the third thing they had was flute players that somehow you have to have at least two flutes and one wailing woman in order to have a good cry about things. It sounds weird to us, but I suppose our funeral practices today would sound weird to the first century. So, let's have a little bit of uh, grace there. But imagine the chaos of the scene. This big crowd, they're tearing their clothes. By the way, they had all kinds of issues about how you tore your clothes at a funeral. And so, I kind of wondered, maybe you brought your bad clothes to the funeral. You know, I don't know. It's 
There is ways to tear your clothes. They're wailing loudly, professional mourners leading the way, hoping that they'll get paid well by the prominent synagogue ruler while the musicians play away. And Jesus asks a crazy question in verse 39. When he had entered, he said, why are you making a commotion and weeping? They have to think, well, duh, what kind of an idiot are you? Jesus says the child is not dead but sleeping, and they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, that's Peter and James and John, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he charged them that no one should know this and told her to give her something to eat. Of course there's laughter, the laughter of the superiority of knowledge. Poor Jesus, he doesn't know what we know. But Jesus is dead in earnest. He tosses everybody out except mom and dad and his three guys. That had to take some time. Jesus has an appointment to do battle with death here. And the question is, who's going to win? And in two words, Jesus shows that he is the victor over death. Talitha Kumi, little girl. Arise. <laughs> Think of it. Jesus is either crazy to say those words, or he's God, speaking to a dead girl, telling her to get up. He's either crazy or he's God. You don't have any other option. And Jesus raises the little girl. Little girl, arise. The resurrection is immediate. It's complete. The girl doesn't have to go to rehab. (laughs) Jesus is so caring. He says, get her some Jason's Deli. Get her something to eat. And he tells the ones in the room, don't tell. Why? Jesus wanted the family to escape the circus that had already been taking place. He wanted to avoid the Jesus for King political mess. And it simply wasn't time for that kind of revelation to be public. So, here's some things to take away here. Jesus often only acts after it appears that all hope is gone. He often acts only at the point at which you think, well, this is hopeless, and that's exactly when Jesus steps in. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about the times in Jesus' life. The storm. The disciples said, "Uh, Jesus, don't you care? We're all about to die. (laughs) Jesus wipes the sleep out of his eyes. He looks up, he goes, peace, be still. It's calm. Lazarus, dead four days. 
Lord, don't go in the tomb. By now he's, there's a smell in there. Lazarus, come forth. There he comes with the wrapped in the grave clothes. His own resurrection. I have authority to lay my life down and I have authority to take it up again, Jesus said. Jesus often only acts after it appears that all hope is gone. Are you in a situation where you feel like, well, this is truly hopeless? Look out. Jesus might be just about to act. Jesus is interested in all people, synagogue rulers and outcasts. And he doesn't care about whether or not the world thinks you're clean or unclean or whatever. Instead, Jesus touches people and makes them clean. Isn't that wonderful? If you're a mess today, you think, man, I am a mess. Nothing can fix this. You are wrong. Jesus can make you clean. What is the nature of faith? It is to stop fearing. And I don't know what you're afraid of today, but all of us have fears. Maybe we're afraid for our health or that we'll die or we won't have enough money or that something bad's going to happen or that people won't like us or that we won't get we want what we want. Stop fearing and trust and rely on the person of Jesus. There is going to be a day when trouble will be no more, but that time is not yet. And so, taking all of our time to think about who we can blame for our troubles seems to me to be a fruitless exercise. Rather, trust in Christ and look ahead to the day that's coming when everything will be made right. Jesus loves people. He loves people in an emergency He loves people with chronic problems. These stories are here in the Bible, not to tell you that Jesus will correct whatever emergency you have or whatever chronic problem you have. Rather, He wants you to know these three truths. First, your biggest emergency is that you will die and go to hell if you do not get your sins forgiven. That's an emergency. Your most chronic problem is that you sin and you cannot help it. You try to stop it and it just keeps happening. You've got an emergency, you have a chronic problem. Jesus loves you so much that He will forgive your sins and give you His perfect righteousness as a gift. Did you catch the verses that Lindsay read as we sang our last song, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses? That's an emergency. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. My friends, whether your problems are chronic or an emergency, Jesus 
loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we want to thank you for your love in sending your Son to die on the cross. You love the world so much that you gave your only unique Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I pray that the people who are in this room who are facing emergencies right now, Lord, would you remind them of just how much Jesus, our Savior, loves them? And for those who are having chronic problems, problems that keep happening and they don't seem to go away, would you remind them, O oh God, of just how much Jesus loves them? Help us what it, to learn what it means to not fear, but only believe in Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's ready to trust Christ with their life, I pray that they would say right now in their heart, Lord, I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I'm asking you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins by what you did at the cross and grant to me the eternal life you promise. Oh God, do that wonderful work of grace in everyone in this room that we may see just how high and long and wide and deep your love is for us. In Jesus' name, amen.